There's a reality that for years and years, both parties were oriented toward free market trading, relying on global trade. Last few years, both parties have become more and more protectionist. The IRA included a lot of incentives for domestic manufacturing to build up the U.S. supply chain, which is great, but we can't build it up overnight. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited on this episode of the podcast interview, Greg Whetstone. He's the president and chief executive officer of ACOR. ACOR is the American Council on Renewable Energy. Greg, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you today. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you. For listeners who are not familiar with ACOR, obviously I'm very familiar with it as being part of the Accelerate program. I think it would be great if you could talk to what ACOR does and the different policy initiatives. It would also be interesting as well, like I was reading your background before, how you got involved in ACOR because you have a very varied background from reading your bio. Yeah, thanks for that. So just for those who don't know, ACOR is a membership organization that works to accelerate the transition to renewable energy. We like to rely on policy, finance, and technology as tools to get us there. That's really the crux of what's happening in the transition to cleaner energy. We engage on issues that may go to kind of the nuances of electricity policy, electricity market design. Tax policy has been really important to the development of renewables. It's been a big area of engagement. We're engaged on permitting and siting issues, on trade policy issues that have become increasingly important to our sector, particularly for the solar supply chain. Whatever it takes to accelerate the growth of our sector, really to the pace we need to get us on track with an effective response to the climate crisis. So that's the quick overview of ACOR. A big part of what we do is focused on assuring that the transition is an equitable one. And part of that is, of course, our Accelerate program. I'm really proud of what we've been able to help small entrepreneurs, small companies that are led by POC entrepreneurs do. And we're seeing so much growth there. And that's an area that continues to be right at the center of our efforts at ACOR. It's amazing the work that ACOR has done. And you mentioned the Accelerate membership program, like my company, Renew Energy, was one of the first companies or first classes in the program. And it's a great program. And I've learned a lot and made a lot of great connections and close friendships and gotten to know Greg actually really well during the whole process and the whole ACOR team. You know, if anyone's obviously interested in learning more about it, we'll have information on the notes of the podcast. Happy to talk to anyone as well directly. Our trade organizations are so important and the work that ACOR does obviously helps our industry make the transition quicker into clean energy and more equitable. Obviously, everyone's talking about the Inflation Reduction Act that ACOR did a lot of work on. We have a group of listeners from experts in the industry, beginners or people who are learning about the industry. 
Can you talk about like what was like the major sort of summary of the legislation of the Inflation Reduction Act? Obviously, there's a lot of different components, but maybe two or three of the high level components of that act and how that will help promote clean energy stability and exponential, hopefully, implementation of clean energy. You bet. So the Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, that was really a landmark achievement for us in the renewable sector. Really, it's the first time that we have had a national policy that is really at a scale to get us moving toward the goals we need to grow the renewable sector at a pace consistent with what we need to deal with the climate imperative. And it's really a bill that is focused on tax policy here in the U.S. For better or worse, we don't really have a direct energy policy. I like saying Europe or, you know, really many other countries, including China. We don't have a national energy policy that says we have to have a certain amount of renewables by any particular date. Our sector has grown based on the tax code and tax incentives, but it's always been a year-to-year thing where we're battling to make sure our incentives stay in place and businesses can't really plan over the long term. Sometimes the credits would expire and we'd be in these big fights to make sure that they were renewed and All that uncertainty made it really tough for business planning. That all changed with the Inflation Reduction Act. Really, for the first time, we were able to remake the tax code in a way that it no longer tilts toward fossil fuels. So we have long-term incentives for wind and solar power, but not just wind and solar power, also for energy storage for manufacturing of key renewable components and for emerging technologies like hydrogen, which is out there as a potentially very helpful addition to what we're doing today. And the law includes provisions that make it easier to monetize tax credits so that they're easier to use They're transferable, and in some circumstances, those who qualify can actually just simply receive direct pay as opposed to what is usually necessary to make the tax credits real, which typically has involved needing to bring in tax equity investors and really develop relatively complex transactions that allow the renewable energy deployment to go forward. So the law is really, as I mentioned, a historic step forward. We're still seeing the guidance developed under the law, so we're still early. We haven't really seen the full benefit of the law because a lot of transactions are waiting to make sure that they are structured to ensure that they qualify for the credits that lie really at the heart of a lot of what we're doing. But a very positive change for us and really represents the U.S., as I say, getting started on climate change. That's actually a great summary of something that's pretty complex, like the Inflation Reduction Act. There's so many different components. And you were able to summarize that really well. And, you know, one of the things, too, that stuck out to me is your comment about the year-to-year incentives. And definitely this creates a lot of stability within the industry, which will hopefully lead to a lot of development and being able to get the ITC for other technologies emerging and energy storage is a huge game changer and being able to take it as well as advantage of the tax code and maybe it's easier to structure. So that's really helpful. 
to understand when do you think we'll get guidance on how to interpret the IRA or the Inflation Reduction Act? How long do you think that's going to probably take? It's a really good question. And unfortunately, it's a pretty complicated answer. So the reality is there are like, I don't know, 50 different areas where guidance is called for and needed under the IRA. In some cases, the guidance is already out. We are waiting for guidance on, for example, what it takes for a project to qualify for a bonus credit on the basis of having domestic content. Looking forward to the details on that. For the program that makes the credit transferable, that's coming soon. Looking forward to getting more details there. And they've issued guidance on how communities qualify for a bonus as energy communities or brownfield sites. We expect some more in those areas. Just a long list coming. But I think by the end of this summer, I think we're going to see a lot more happening in our sector because there'll be enough clarity to be able to guide the investors and developers in closing on really big transactions. So, you know, certainly our hope is we're going to see annual investment grow substantially from what has been in the kind of $50 billion a year or so area. So already a lot of growth, but we want to see it substantially larger than that. And, And really we need to, when we look at the goals that we have and that this administration has set for addressing climate and securing the transition to a decarbonized grid. It makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you providing approximate detail of when companies, when we'll get more guidance, where companies will be more comfortable with moving forward with transactions to take advantage of the IRA legislation. So that's actually really helpful. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what you love like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273 that's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273 one of the other questions as well that i had was there's obviously a lot of things that are happening in the industry right now outside of the ira can you talk about what are some of the biggest trade policy issues happening right now outside of the IRA? The IRA passed and we were all thrilled. Then as we're looking to see this industry really take off, it became clear that, you know, there are a bunch of other issues we need to deal with. Some have been out there for a long time and some are relatively new. The trade policy ones are relatively new, but, you know, there's a reality that for years and years, both parties were oriented toward free market trading, relying on global trade. Last few years, both parties have become more and more protectionist. The IRA included a lot of incentives for domestic manufacturing to build up the U.S. supply chain, which is great, but we can't build it up overnight. So we're still relying on imports 
And a lot of these imports include polysilicone from China, which has long been where the investment's been made in producing polysilicone at scale that is really the basis for solar panels. China supplies maybe 80%. Congress is concerned about the province in China, Xinjiang, where there's potentially forced labor that we're seeing there. And we want to see our supply chain is free products that are made with forced labor. But what's happened is a lot of solar panels have been impounded in the nation's ports, even where there are components from the problematic province of China, just if there's Chinese polysilicone. And it's been hard to get that solar release. Some has, but not all of it. So we think there's still over 10 gigawatts of solar right now at warehouses and our ports just being held. So we're pushing hard to get the agency that has responsibility there, Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Patrol, to make decisions on those panels. And if they can't be imported, if there's concerns about forced labor, so be it. But otherwise, if we don't have evidence of that or reasons for that concern, let's go ahead and bring these panels in and help them and help move forward on the clean energy transition. We do have around this country right now, dozens of solar projects that are built out with racking and have no panels because we're waiting for these panels. So that's an issue. And then there's a related issue on tariff levels for imports from four Southeast Asian countries that use Chinese polysilicone. And some of those companies are potentially subject to very large tariffs. And the Biden administration announced a moratorium that for two years, they'll be free of these larger tariffs. But getting clarity on how those tariffs apply becomes really important. And there are concerns about making solar so much more expensive in the U.S. right now than it is in the rest of the world because of these tariffs. It's really the interplay with trade policy and tensions with China, which really has been the source of a lot of ingredients, a lot of key components that we rely on in the renewable industry. So we're changing that, but it can't happen immediately. Those are great points. I was reading some of the traceability rules to prove that it's not from the Uyghur or that area in China. And it's hard to prove, right, that you didn't get the raw materials from there. And it's interesting because you mentioned a great point is solar is more expensive in the U.S. than other parts of the world. And it's interesting because in one hand, you have like the IRA that's helping the transition. But then obviously you have this tariffs and traceability and forced labor things that increase the cost or you can't get equipment. And it's interesting that uh, they're focused on solar because there's a lot of other stuff that's manufacturers in China that's not subject to tariffs. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that renewables are kind of in the crosshairs, but there's so many other things that we rely on, including virtually anyone who's got an iPhone that are made in China or have Chinese ingredients. That's the economy. So we can't shift overnight. Over time, yes, we can develop other supply chains, but we have to be realistic about timing. And obviously it takes time to build the manufacturing base in the U.S. So this is the solution for now. That makes sense. And I appreciate you explaining that. I read about your recent partnership with the National Urban League to publish the inaugural climate and clean energy section of the 2023 state 
of Black America report. I know this is relatively new that was announced. Can you go into more detail about that? Sure. I mean, this is something I'm really proud of and really credit the ACOR team and Constance Thompson on our staff at ACOR for really leading the way. We've been working for a while with the National Urban League to really help with their effort to focus more on the climate issue and on renewable energy and on the importance of an equitable transition. We worked with them on a special section that was included in the State of Black America report this year, which is an annual report, but this is the first time they dealt with these issues. I was privileged to be able to co-author a piece with the CEO of the National Urban League, Mark Moriel. And in that piece, we really go through the opportunities under the Inflation Reduction Act to allow us to really achieve an equitable transition. That means one in which, one, we're moving forward so the disadvantaged communities don't see disproportional impacts of climate change, and also that these communities and minority populations are able to enjoy the benefits of the renewable transition. And that means both be able to have more cost-effective power, lower-cost renewable power, and also to participate and benefit from the business end of the transition. And, you know, our accelerate program is an example of that happening, but obviously it's not at scale where we need to be. It's great to be able to help. I think now our total is, I don't know, maybe 30 companies, something like that. But we have a large economy. There are a lot of opportunities. So we want to do what we can to help with workforce training to help ensure access to these business opportunities, which we think are tremendously impactful and transformative. I was able to be in Atlanta for the launch of that report three or so weeks ago. It was really something to see. I'm just so impressed with the National Urban League. They have some 90 chapter organizations, and we look forward to working with them and finding ways to engage more with these chapters and build on this, you know, to make it real, to make that transition equitable. You guys are really being innovators in the industry as a trade organization and really helping and taking action to help make it an equitable transition. So I appreciate that. One of my favorite renewable energy events is coming up that ACOR is having. It's the ACOR Finance Forum. I will be there. It's on June 7th and 8th in New York. Greg, can you talk about that event? Yeah, you bet. Thanks for the opportunity. This is really our largest annual conference. ACOR, in many ways, originated with the investment community that approached renewable development in a way that is kind of neutral about which technology, but focused on getting it done and finding investments that make sense and helping the sector grow. So we've got a whole new investment landscape now under the IRA. So it's a particularly important time for this conference. We've got the head of the DOE loan program, who's got, I think, $40 billion in his portfolio to work with. Jigger Shaw will be there. We'll have leaders from many of the most important investors and developers and manufacturers and corporate off-takers, along with uh, renewable-oriented utilities, will all be there. I always learn a ton from these conferences and 
particularly now with the world changing and the investment mix, the so-called capital stack involved, it's a really important time to get that information. So looking forward to that June 7th and 8th in New York City. And we'll have more information on our notes of the podcast of how people could register from the acre, do the state of the industry. And you do the whole PowerPoint presentation. It's a great summary of what's happening. And I'm really excited to hear what you have this year at the conference. So I appreciate you doing that. Thanks, Benoit. That's fun. And we're thinking about that right now, how we emphasize it's a really interesting time and not easy to summarize where we are, but there's just tremendous potential for growth, but also some pretty big obstacles we're trying to deal with. We talked about trade. There's building out the transmission grid, getting projects interconnected. There's so many areas right now that we're working on really to maximize the potential under this new law. So we'll be talking about that and really some detail at the finance forum in just under a month. Yes, I'll be here before you know it. Greg, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a great interview on the Solar Maverick podcast. If people want to learn more about ACOR, what's the best way for them to learn about the organization? Sure, we'll come to our website at www.acor.org and you can see about our programs, our membership and how we operate. So there are a lot of reports out there if you want to get into the weeds on tax policy or on transmission issues, interconnection, it's a good place to go. And we'll have it as well on the notes of the podcast. Thank you again, Greg, for your time. It's a great interview and I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Thanks for doing it, Benoit, and we'll look forward to seeing you in New York. Definitely. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think can benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown. 